Myself Chakras, episode 115. Will this action brighten or dim my spirit? The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, action takers? AJ here and welcome once again to My 7 Chakras, the show where we uncover the powerful wisdom of the ancient world, dust it off with the lens of science and present it to you in the form of nuggets so that you are not only able to learn, but take action and transform yourself as well. You see, one of the challenges that I faced early on was that I came across many books and shows that talked about some amazing concepts and ideas. And after listening to the whole show or whole episode, I would feel great, but I would have no idea as to how do I go about applying what I just learned in my daily life? How could I take action and build some momentum? You see, Einstein once said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you probably don't understand it yourself. And deep down, I wished there was a show that made it simpler for me to learn and also take action. And that's exactly what our show is all about. But you know what? Sometimes taking action is hard. When you're doing it all alone, when your peers, friends or family don't really support you, and that's quite possible. I know that you're going through a unique and magical journey and that's why I've created a Facebook group so that you can meet like-minded people who will support you, give you feedback, cheer you on and guide you on your quest. To join our free Facebook tribe, visit my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. That's my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. And with that action tribe, I am super excited to bring you our featured guest for today, Anna Forrest. So, Anna, are you ready to inspire? Yes, of course. Awesome. So, Anna Forrest has been changing people's lives for over 40 years. She's an internationally recognized pioneer in yoga and emotional healing, a medicine woman, creatrix of Forest Yoga, and author of the highly acclaimed book, Fierce Medicine. So, Anna, I've given our listeners a glimpse into your life, but take about a minute and tell us a bit more about you. A bit more about me regarding the yoga road would be, I got into yoga on a dare. (laughs) I was not looking for health or enlightenment or anything. And yet there was something about it that hooked me in at a really early age. I was around 15 years old. And it came at a very important part of my life because I was an alcoholic, I was a heavy smoker, and I was basically running on a fast road to suicide. So yoga gave me some tools and some really unknowing reasons to live. And I didn't get it at first, but something kept bringing me back. And as I kept going into these studies, it attached one thread, then another thread, then another thread into the brightness of having a future instead of into a way of ending my suffering. And as I continued, I found more and more and more hmm, dead ends in yoga. And that's actually what inspired me to create forest yoga to give the tools to people like me to live instead of die. 
How's that for a short synopsis? <laughs> Beautiful. It's really engaging and intriguing and I can't wait to dive into our interview today and learn more about your story and the insights that you have in store for us. But before that, we usually take a few minutes for some inspirational wisdom in the form of an inspirational quote. Sound like a plan? Sure. Great. So, Anna, what is your favorite inspirational quote and also tell us how you apply this quote in your life? I apply a question. It's like when I'm about to take an action whether it would be doing my yoga practice or eating certain food or engaging with a certain kind of person, especially if it's feeling a little iffy, I ask, will this action brighten or dim my spirit? And then I make a warrior's choice about that because I want to go after brightening my spirit and not dimming down in any way, shape or form anymore. And I need to add a little addition to this is to discern the difference between when it's my addictions speaking and when it's that deeper inner knowing of my spirit, and my intuition speaking. So like, for example, if I was still craving alcohol, the idea of getting drunk could be really fun and exciting. And I would say, oh, yeah, that's my spirit talking. And it's like, I need to go a few layers deeper and get down to the bone honest and recognize that oh, that's my addiction speaking. That is not my spirit. Mm -hmm. So when applying this to, to ask that internal question, does this brighten or dim my spirit to get honest? So I need to back up a little farther so that people can go like, well, I don't know what my spirit is and all of that. It's like, all right, care enough to quest for your spirit, to do the actions necessary to quest for your spirit, and then have the courage to live as your spirit dictates, which is a quest in and of itself, because we'll make mistake after mistake in order to learn what it is and what direction our spirit needs and wants to go in. But what a wonderful quest. Wow. I think that's really powerful. Action taker, as you're listening to this episode right now, realize that you are a being of light and your role is to do those things that inspire you, that fulfill you and make you stronger. So when in doubt, ask yourself, will this action brighten or dim my spirit? Thanks a lot for sharing, Anna. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a really good guideline for me. Wonderful. Now, let's dive in. What inspired you to write your book, Fierce Medicine? I had begun teaching from the digested experiences of my life. In other words, like once I had gone into these pockets where my life experiences were archived in my cell tissue and freed them and went through the, the drama and trauma of them and then came out with some gem of what I learned, then I began to teach from that because there were times where I was reaching to people who were so desperate that almost nothing could get through. So I needed to use something loud enough or even louder to get through their internal mind noise and screaming to like, hey, listen, this was a big drama situation too. And there's a way through this. Listen. And so then people started asking me to write a book about it. And it was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Yeah, putting that mm -hmm. in writing was just too horrifying to even think about. And yet I was talking it. So like talking it was a big breakthrough for me. And then my students would come back and say, hey, this is how it helped me. So for a number of years when people said, hey, why don't you write a book about this? Why don't you write your story out? And the answer was no and no and no. And mostly that was really fear-based. I was just really scared of putting any of that in writing because I was afraid the people were going to come get me. You know, if I started to speak about what happened, I was gonna, they were going to get me. Like I had this innate fear I lived with all the time. So I stayed partially hidden all the time. And then at a certain point when someone said, hey, will you do a book? And the answer was, yes. 
and it, it changed over the years as I began to go into the belly of my fear and unravel it and disperse it, which was way that I built courage. I was going right into where my fear was and finding out what's at the very nucleus of that fear and dealing with that instead of all the ripples that that nucleus of fear put out. So yes, the answer changed to yes, and I began to write. I also had to really go through a severe editing process in writing that book that my editors at the publishing house helped me with. Is One of my editors said to me, you're trying to put your whole life into a book. We have a 300-page boundary, mm-hmm. and you have to have this many, you know, about 30 pages per chapter. It was like, why? It's like, this is how they put books together. Okay. So it was a really interesting process to begin to track the realization pathway. Like, how did I go from here to here without the 200,000 decisions in between because it would be too convoluted for a reader to follow? And so having to track the path of inspiration and learning and mistakes and learning from the mistakes and yet put it into a congruent trail. It was very much like when I lived on the in the wilderness on the reservation and I was learning how to track the wild ones. You know, there's a little paw print here and a little bit of fur over there and a little leaf nibbled there and how to track that to actually being able to get close to and glimpse a deer or a lynx or a wild one, you know, one of these precious, beautiful, sweet medicine animals. So writing that book was very much like learning to track, like what is the point? (laughs) Why even talk about this? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you had your wonderful experiences and you came up with a gem of what you learned. I love how you put it. And then you saw people facing challenges around you and you needed something loud enough to break through or to pierce through the noise and the chatter that goes on in a person's mind, especially if the person is facing a challenge. And people love the change that you were able to have on them. And they urged you to write a book about your story. And they planted those seeds again and again and again. And you did have that fear deep down. But at one point, I love when you say that at one point you said yes and you embarked on your journey. Action Tribe, I'd like to ask you this question. What is that story that is in your mind? You might not be ready yet, but just plant a seed because one day you will say yes. So, Anna, what is forest yoga and how is it different from other forms of yoga? I had coming into yoga a lot of problems, a lot of psychological problems, a lot of physical problems, a lot of addictions. I had deep, deep injuries on pretty much every level that the human can have. And I wasn't finding answers to that in the traditional yoga fields that I was going to, but I was still getting something out of those fields. So not dissing them, but needing to connect more to what I needed. So I went into many different realms of healing. And one of the places where I was actually able to learn to connect to my spirit was in the Native American medicine ways and learning how to vision quest and sundance and learning how to pray in a way that didn't make me gag. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the things that I came across in yoga, I just discarded as what I call sweetness and light, la la bullshit. It's like, it just sounds so untrue that it's giving me spiritual diabetes. Just stop it. And Mm -hmm. I needed to connect to something that felt true, that resonated down to my bones. And where I began to track that connection, going back to tracking, is in the medicine world. And then I also did a lot of studies into various forms of healing, hands-on healing, learning how to see energy, 
in your introduction, you mentioned Reiki. I studied Reiki, which is a third-degree Reiki healer. I worked with a number of medicine people in plant healing and hands-on healing. And I went into many different fields because I needed threads from each of them to work my own healing. I also had to create a number of yoga poses that could get into where my problems, my scar tissue was. So, for example... I had a lot of injuries from training horses mm -hmm. and didn't know how to use the yoga poses as healing. It was just sort of like one of the things one of the teachers I remember saying was, you know, just do yoga and everything will get handled. And that actually isn't true. When you got injuries, you need to treat them appropriately and start learning discernment about what poses are irritating them and what poses are good medicine for them. I had a lot of back pain. I had a lot of gut pain because I was bulimic for years, eating disorders for years. So I had a lot of scar tissue and a lot of just problems and knots in my guts and in my intestines. And so through all of that, I created the abdominal series and laying over the roll series that gets into very specifically into the organs and into the intestines where we have so much blockage and also so much brilliance. I see the gut area, the belly, the intestines, the organs as the second brain. And when that area is clogged up or dysfunctional, we get murky information. And our brain and our head gets murky information and our blood is filthy by what's in our guts. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a murky situation through the blood, through our thinking process, through our ability to navigate through the swamp of our own intestinal tract. And so as you begin to clear that out and get the organs online and functioning, then we begin to discern more clearly what our body is telling us because it's talking to us all the time and we frequently, I certainly didn't know how to listen to it. And so in the journey of nutrition and in the journey of being aware of what in my life was sickening me, like the company that I keep or the actions or running myself into exhaustion, it's just learning how to pay attention. And what's so utterly beautiful to these bigger truths of learning is that you can start almost anywhere in any direction in your life and boom, you're off and running. Start with your nutrition. Start with your sleep pattern. Start with the kind of people you hang out with. If you're hanging out with drug addicts and alcoholics, you're going to be pretty filthy most of the time because they are coming from an addiction place. And if that's your company, mm -hmm. you will also be confused and murky. So hang out with people who are working with something different besides where to get the next hit. <laughs> so you mentioned early on you had challenges, addictions, injuries and problems and you needed a way to address the challenges that you were facing personally. A modality that resonated with you deep down including the medicine world, Reiki, energy healing, nutrition and so many other fields and that's how you came up with what is known as forest yoga. Now, many of our listeners are on a quest to change their lives and may have stumbled upon yoga for the very first time. So for someone who is new to yoga, what are some of the benefits of forest yoga? One is that you'll start to learn how to feel. And that may sound really super simple. And yep, we start really basic. In forest yoga, you learn how to breathe. Mm -hmm. And lots of people say, well, I, I know how to breathe. It's like, actually, you don't. You do breathe, but you don't know how to breathe. And when you start learning how to change your breath patterns, 
For example, as you're listening right now, start taking deeper breaths, so inhaling, and expand your ribs outward until you cannot take any more in. So you're feeling for filling up every air sac in your lungs. And then take your shoulders down so you're not stressing out about breathing. And then exhaling and pull the belly in, turning on your abdominal muscles so they are engaging and supporting you with each breath. So I'd love our listeners to breathe deeply like that through the rest of this conversation. I teach people how to breathe with ujjayi, which is making a a whisper sound, or to me it sounds like when the wind blows through the cedar trees, because that's like the vocal cords of the planet. It's like doing this deep ujjayi breathing, and that changes how everything functions, how your brain transmits its chemistry, how your stress levels work, how you learn, how your body processes and metabolizes. It changes everything when you change your breathing. And breathing is so absolutely vitally important that there's all these automatic ways that we breathe. And that's usually how we function is the automatic, non-conscious ways of breathing because we must breathe to live. So let me take it a little farther. If you stop breathing, you are dead meat in 10 minutes. So anything that's that important is worth learning about. So you learn how to breathe. And there is a big emphasis in every forest yoga class, no matter which of my teachers is teaching it, to focus in on your breathing. And then to start learning how to target specific areas in your body. So let's say, AJ, you did an entire day of interviews and you've been in front of your computer all day. Your back will hurt. Mm -hmm. Your hamstrings are tight. Your neck is probably tight. And those are some of the areas that we would go after in every single class. Releasing the neck, deep Mm -hmm. breathing, and learning how to go after the pain in your body and breaking that pain patterning up. We set an intent at the beginning of each class. So the intent may be something the teacher chooses, like, okay, today I want you to pick a spot in your body that has pain in it. And you may choose, because you just did a whole day of interviews, you may choose your low back. And unless the teacher is asking you to focus elsewhere, your personal responsibility is to remember to breathe into or as close as possible to your low back. So what does Mm -hmm. that mean? It's like if you put your hand on your low back right now Mm -hmm. and you inhale and you balloon your breath downward and into the low back so you feel the low back expanding into your hand. Can you feel that? Yep, I do. Yeah, because I hear you breathing. And then exhale and lift your ribs up so you're decompressing. And then tuck your tailbone down so you're opening the bones in your spine. And so you do those actions within the context of each of the poses. You're breathing into your low back and you're getting spacious and where the area is congested and hurting. And by the end, that area has changed. As well as many, many, many things and adventures that happen during the class, you have learned something really powerful, which is you have learned how to alleviate your own pain. That is power. So that's one example. In every forest yoga class, we do a series of abdominals because what I noticed in the yoga world is that the abdominal work is seriously lacking. There's not much of it. There's a minimum of two different kinds of abdominals that would go into each class depending on how long the class is. And I heartily recommend people do elbow to knee, which is a simple abdominal, every day so that the abdominals and the intestines are turned on and toned. And one of the main problems that our people have in this day and age is this clogging and murkiness and gunk in the intestines. So it starts to move the constipation out and get that area more vital and supportive. In other words, so your abdominal muscles support your physiology, support you in sitting up and standing. 
Then we would move on to doing some gentle inversions like a dolphin, which is like a down dog, but on the forearms and letting the head hang down. So like getting a, a brainwash, you know, because we're usually upright. Then moving into something that warms up all the bones and muscles like sun exercises and then into B series with a bunch of different standing poses or inversions combined. And then moving into the sequencing more toward a backbend class or more toward a hip or twist class. Because the forest yoga classes are really carefully sequenced so that each pose builds on the next. And that makes the poses very physiologically friendly. Because you can take the same set of poses and just put them together randomly, as some people were taught, Mm -hmm. not taught how to teach. And they really hurt. So it's like learning how to sequence poses together adds a utter deliciousness in the body. You know, it becomes like this wonderful song throughout the body. Then there's a warm down process from whatever the apex is, like the challenging poses or the ones that you needed to be really warmed up for to to do. Then you warm it down so that you down-regulate the nervous system. And by the time you get to Shavasana, you have this very deep, nourishing Shavasana. So that's the basic structure of a forest yoga class. And part of what I'm adding in over these last couple of years, because I've gone into a new track, is me and my partner, Jose Calarco, who has a Aboriginal dance group. He's a songman for his group, which means he has, is a carrier of the songs and the dances. So we are bringing in some of these ancient songs into the beginning of the class as part of setting the intent. And the bringing in this aspect of music with the coaching of let this in, let this touch your heart, let this begin to quicken your blood and excite you or to nourish your spirit. Actually use this music to turn on and then bring that turn on into wherever we're going in the adventure and the questing of the class. So I bring this element of ceremony and vision quest and self-discovery into the class because most folks don't have time or don't have the connections to go up on the mountain and vision quest like it was done traditionally in these different cultures. You know, like in the Native Americans, you go out into the wilderness in isolation, but you also have a medicine person guiding you. So me and my partner are those medicine people, and we're guiding people through an internal journey of discovery on the map. And that's very exciting. It's like to be able to get these different deep, deep needs that a human craves, getting them nourished and turned on and satisfied within the context of a yoga class. So that's a little bit about forest yoga. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm sure that someone listening to this episode right now really wants to start a yoga session because you wonderfully explained it, the music at the start, the transition, the proper transition from one yoga pose to another. And the guidance really makes such a huge difference. And I love that you spoke about ujjayi breathing. I love that. Mm. And I love that how it naturally warms up the inside of your body, the internals, and uh, the sound that it makes is really relaxing. And the fact that you spoke about the importance of breathing, Action Tribe, let me ask you, you do breathe, but do you know how to breathe? Do you know how to breathe consciously? Because where the focus goes, energy flows. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, I was going through your website and I really love What you mentioned in one of your pages, in teaching forest yoga, I am doing my part to mend the hoop of the people, to inspire people to clear through the stuff that hardens them and sickens their bodies so that they can walk freely and lightly in a healing way, in a beauty way. Love that. So for someone listening to this episode who might be going through the challenge that you talk about, could you give us an overview of the stuff 
that you refer to that hardens or sickens the body? Oof, just about everything and anything in our life today. So, for example, a lot of the people that will be listening to this are people that live in cities. There's an ongoing onslaught of noise and stimulation that is not very useful. So our ears get exhausted trying to sort out the noises, you know, that mean something to us and that don't. So there's radios going, there's TVs blaring, there's horns beeping, there's people yelling, there's always this noise going on, the noise of cars going by. There's filth in the air that you're breathing and coating your lungs with, so you breathe less and less and less, which makes you duller and leaves the poisons that you're breathing in your body. So even though you may live in a city and the air is not clean, you still need to learn to breathe deeply to get that crap out of your lungs. Mm. For example, a lot of our folks, unfortunately, have changed their diet onto the fast food world, which is poison. Like, for example... I was just talking to a friend of mine who is a music wizard because we were recording with him. We were, me and Jose were recording one of Jose's songs, which I'm really thrilled about, just really soon getting ready to put out in the world. And it's called I Touch the Morning Light. Mm-hmm. And it's a song describing being in communion with the sacred ones. Very, very precious song to us. So we were talking to one of the men that is helping us with keyboard. He's an amazing man on keyboard. And he was talking about one of his favorite meals that he wanted to go get was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it was like, oh my God, do you know that they call it KFC because they don't actually have normal chickens anymore? They have bred them into mutants without beaks, without legs, And therefore, they have been refused the title of using chicken. It's not like a new pet name, KFC, because they are feeding you mutant animal. This is horrible food. Are you really sure you want to ingest fried carcinogenic flesh that is mutated? What are you doing to yourself eating something like that? And when he went on to complain and bitch about, you know, nutrition and this and that, it's like, come on, you don't know the difference between broccoli and Kentucky Fried Mutant? You don't know the difference? You're a very smart man. Of course you do. Start making better choices. You don't live in a young body anymore that can, you know, compensate for your foolishness. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a man that was in his 50s. It's like by the time you get into your 50s, you're supposed to get wiser. Make wiser choices. So... (laughs) Yes, diet and nutrition, nutritional strategy, listening to what will vitalize you instead of what dulls you and poisons you. So food, that's something we do every single day. We eat every day. We drink something every day. Are you drinking Coca-Cola or can you drink clean filtered water? Mm -hmm. Make good choices. What about if everything that you put in your mouth was something to build your vitality instead of something that made you dull or that put your body into an internal battle trying to fight against the poison of it? Like when you eat fried food, the fried food is carcinogenic. This is not Anna's imagination. That's actually been proved by science. Please. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of the things that I say to people when they come to me and they're like, oh, I have this wrong and that wrong. It's like, my friend, stop poisoning yourself. Stop with what you drink, with what you eat, with what you do with yourself. Whether you throw yourself into crazy, weird, perverse sexual encounters or the things that you think in your head that poison you, stop poisoning yourself just that much will be so powerful. So you're talking to your tribe, AJ, your action tribe, which I like that. I love action. Thanks. And it's like, (laughs) yeah. And like, here's the action. Stop poisoning yourself. And that gives you that pause. Take some deep Ujjayi breaths. I call this my formula for change. And then make a better choice. 
I ask what will build my vitality or what will help me connect to my spirit or what will help free me from this horrible way of living that is so desperate, you know, to choose to stop and then take some deep breaths like, whoa, I almost ran down that really well-worn neurological pathway that leads into the same old shit. What if I don't do it? What if I don't do that? What other choices can I make? So we live in the city. We're ingesting poison in many different ways. One of the things that I found when I became a vegan is that I began to shed suffering. And then I began to realize some of the suffering I was shedding was the suffering of the animals I had been eating. So I need to backtrack a little bit because people get confused on the years. So many years ago, in 1975, I became a vegetarian. And then about three years ago, I became vegan. So let me fill in a little bit in between. What I didn't know back then as a vegetarian is a lot of the guidelines I was attempting to learn about nutrition was put out by the meat and dairy industry. Like, I have to have this amount of protein. I have to have these things mm. to make complete proteins. And what I didn't know then was that most of the foods that I was attempting to use to combine for complete proteins, I was allergic to. It took me years to find that out. So eventually, after many years of getting fat, stupid, and constipated as a vegetarian, I quit that and went on to eating pretty much purely vegetables and meat. Then I moved on to a reservation and learned how to hunt. So when I talked about tracking, I was hunting for my food also. Big shift. And I learned how to pray over whatever it was I was hunting, like, yes, I killed you. I did. And I'm asking that your life force become part of mine to feed me so I can live. And that was also part of what helped me heal from my bulimia, is that it was so very serious that I was, in order to eat, I had to kill something. That's pretty intense. And to not waste it by throwing it back up to not waste that animal's giveaway, but to make it precious. That life force went to feed my life force. Now let me make my life worth something. So then years went by and at a certain point, my body said, stop, stop eating meat. And it was like, really? Okay. I, I, you know, my ways of talking about eating meat and, you know, learning how to work with what your body actually needs and all that all of a sudden was like, wow, I've been talking and teaching this other way for a very long time. And am I hardened to my own experience? You know, if my Krishnamurti used to say, Jiddu Krishnamurti would say, experience breeds prejudice. You know, if you don't go through your experiences carefully, it's like, okay, because I have taught this, am I now wedded to having to stay with this philosophy? Or can I naturally change my own actions mm. and say, I just learned something different. And that's what I'm doing. So changing my nutritional strategy yet again. Now let me go back to a different question about mending the hoop of the people. In the medicine way, one of the great medicine teachers was Black Elk. And this was happening in the early 1900s, I think. I'd have to look it up to be sure about that. But when the government was making a concerted effort to basically commit genocide on the Native Americans. Interesting, now that I'm living mostly in Australia, it's like the Australian government did a lot of the same actions with the Aboriginal people. You know, our humans can be really sick and twisted. And our governments can be too. We just need to look right there. And it's like, wow, there it is. So back to the Native Americans. Black Elk, when he saw 
how his people were getting twisted and disoriented and sickened by alcohol and the sickness that was passed on by the U.S. government to the people by giving them pox-infected blankets so that they died by the thousands and on and on and on. Black Elk said, and he saw the spine of his people had been broken. He just said, the hoop of the people, the hoop of the rainbow people has been broken. And he was in great despair and how I see it is my job as a medicine person and the people that take my forest yoga training and anyone else who is interested, I ask each and every person to begin to mend their own hoop, mend what their sickness is, go to the people that have the resources, whether it's forest yoga teachers or Ayurvedic practitioners or massage therapists or doctors or chiropractors or to AJ to learn the tools to make your life a masterpiece to do your own mending of the hoop and then to fill up and nourish yourself enough that you have a generosity of heart that you can give to another person and help them. Maybe how that help is, is you take a friend of yours that's struggling in their life, take them to a yoga class and commit to going to class you know, once a week together so that you're doing something wonderful together instead of meeting at a bar together and getting drunk together. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a difference between these actions. So those are some examples of stop poisoning yourself and take a different kind of action. There's an abundance of yoga in the world now. I don't think there's ever been this much yoga. And some of it mm -hmm. is poorly constructed. Some of it has brilliant people in it. Some of it have people that don't care. Some of it has people that care deeply and really want to help people. And it takes some responsibility to the student to do some research. So I go into a class, work with it. Some of the dislike you have may just be you're hitting your own shit. So just keep working with it and find out, does it start working for you? If it doesn't, maybe you're in the wrong kind of class for you. There are so many different kinds of yoga, so many different people presenting. Some people that put their whole heart into it, some people that sound like they're reading, you know, a really boring message. If someone's voice bores you, go elsewhere. But yoga feeds anybody that's in a body there is it is such a deep and rich field and i'm so passionately in love with what i do so i hope that's getting across to people it's like care enough to take some steps that will begin to turn your life into the masterpiece that you want to live in it's like you can build your own life like when i started i didn't have money i didn't have food i ate intermittently when i could when I could get enough money to buy some food. And unfortunately, a lot of the money that I did finally make went, went to cigarettes and to alcohol, like any other addict. That's where, that's the priority. You know, so starting to make those choices of instead of buying alcohol, buy a head of cabbage or, you know, something else, you know, to continue to make these shifts of breathing deeply instead of going numb, to open your perspective every day and look around and connect to something of beauty instead of only seeing the dog shit on the sidewalk. Yep, there is dog shit. Spot it so you don't step in it. But look, look at the clouds. Every day in the sky is a masterpiece happening that will never happen that way again. Look, look and learn how to drink in the beauty that is all around you so that you begin to carry beauty inside of you. So this is part of the healing road. This is part of learning to walk the beauty road. It doesn't negate the damage that you've had, but you begin to ingest something 
else besides poison and suffering. And that makes a difference. So there you go, Action Tribe. When you seek for your teacher, your teacher will appear. And the very fact that you're listening to this episode right now, it means that you're on a quest. You're on a journey and you're in a mode of seeking. And very soon, your teacher will appear. Now, Anna, before we move on, for someone listening to the show right now who wants to listen and take action right away, is there a simple yet profound health tip that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes. Change your breathing right now and then check in a hundred million times. It's like, oh, when I'm facing someone that I care about deeply or that scares me, like maybe your boss is talking to you and you hold your breath. When you hold your breath, you shut down and you become your most stupid, unresourceful self. And I'm not saying this is an insult. It's just what happens. So instead, when your boss or your father or your mother or your lover is talking to you, can you breathe deeply so you can tap into your own centeredness, your own inner wisdom, whatever of it you've accessed, and be able to start responding from that instead of reacting from your own fearfulness? You shut down with your breathing, you will react from fear, which will be your worst possible reaction and the one that will most likely lead you into feeling guilty or ashamed, which isn't a useful place to go. So in each of your moment-to-moment interactions, breathe deeply and get really curious. I love curious. Get curious about how do you respond differently in a way that makes you proud of yourself instead of ashamed or guilty. Well, thanks a lot for that tip, Anna. We'll have this in the show notes. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for this episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 115. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 115. One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. This is a profound quote by Sigmund Freud. Action taker, I know that you are going through a challenge and nothing I say right now will reduce the pain or burden that you are experiencing at this moment. But remember that pain is only temporary. It may last for a minute, an hour or even a year, but eventually it will go away and you will become more wiser and braver. And as you look back at those moments of struggle, you will smile at your fortune because it was those beautiful moments that led to your transformation. So Anna, take us back to a time when you faced a major challenge. How did you first look at the situation and then how did you finally overcome it? AJ, I've had so many of those. Like I'm one of those people that for years was in chronic pain. That was one of the reasons why I drank and did drugs and smoked was because I always hurt. But let me start with one place. Like I said, that's one of the reasons why I created Forest Yoga is I had so many injuries. I hurt on so many levels. But one of the things that I had going on for me was... I was epileptic, grand mal seizures, and I felt betrayed and out of control. I didn't know when they would come on. I didn't know how to stop them. I wasn't even aware of when they happened, and I didn't know what had happened afterward except for that my I began to recognize the symptomology. It felt like I'd had a lightning storm in my brain. My coordination was off. I was usually bleeding and bruised and laying on ground somewhere. That was clues to me, like, I think I just had a fit. Eventually, I got some help, and I went to the medical world, and they said, there's drugs that you can take, and there's some pretty radical surgery of separating the lobes of your brain that will stop the epilepsy. And it was like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. You want to do brain surgery? And I turned away from the surgery. That just seemed too crazy to me. Cutting up my brain, it's like, yeah, no thanks. I've had enough head injuries. Thank you very much. And I tried the drugs, and they made me stupid 
and disoriented and I fell downstairs and I couldn't focus. And it's like, look, I can do this stuff without the drugs. I don't need this with drugs. So I quit taking the drugs. I was threatened by the doctor that put me on the drugs that he would turn me in to the DMV so I'd lead to my license and all this other stuff, which was really weird and strange to me. So in the midst of me questing for how do I heal when I was being told by the brain specialist of the time in the 70s that there is no healing. And if I didn't take that road, as this one doctor was threatening, that he would report me to the authorities, which always got my hackles up. What I also didn't understand at that time, which is an interesting piece of human sickness, is I was working with that doctor's daughter and getting her off of drugs and alcohol. And what I didn't know is at the root of his threatening me was that there was abuse in that family. And so he was afraid that if she got far enough off the drugs and alcohol, she would start to remember the abuse from him. So there's this whole interesting, weird knottedness going on at the time. And yet, looking back at it, it all fit together because the healing process isn't one clear road. There's all these little knots and tendrils, and it's like it's kind of like taking a plant out of a pot that has gotten root-bound. You don't just rip the roots up. You have to slowly ease all these tendrils free. Mm -hmm. And you have to track them. So very, very long story going into regression therapy, tracking my own sexual abuse, tracking the physical damage that was done to me, the emotional damage, tracking the brainwashing that happened. Those were all of these tendrils and big hunks of poison stuff that I had to unravel until the point where I could control my own epilepsy. And it felt like I had to have a energetic hand on this spring in my brain at all times. But as long as I could hold that spring, I could keep from having fits. So that meant I finally had a first step in control. So years went by where I had fits less and less, but it took a lot more internal work, vision quests, sun dancing, therapy, honesty, digging into this black morass of places that was mostly blank and no memory before I unwound the very nucleus of the epilepsy, mm -hmm. which had to do with the deep secrets that I was told I had to keep or die. And so as I began to speak those to my therapist and to anybody who I could around me to continue to make those conditionings a lie, like to recognize this is the lies I was told and to unwind from those lies, I don't have epilepsy and I don't need to control my brain in that way anymore. So that's one of those impossible things. And no, I'm not on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so looking back now, in just one sentence, what is that one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners today? One major life lesson is the truth is so much more inutterably more beautiful and fantastical than any of the facades and beliefs that you have cobbled together. Be more willing to focus wider, to expand your perception, to embrace more the truth than holding on to being right or having to prove yourself. Just keep feeling for what is the most truth I can perceive right now. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story. You said that initially you had many injuries and that you were epileptic. You felt betrayed and out of control. You went to the medical world and they gave you a really extreme solution and you turned away. And they threatened you because they said that there wasn't any other way. And you started to slowly unravel the tendrils in your life, slowly but surely getting more control of your life. And today you are here to inspire us. I think that is such 
precious wisdom and thanks for sharing action tribe as you move on in life and head closer and closer to your goals you might come across many interesting projects that you can take on you might be exposed to many new skills that you want to learn and you might dream of so many areas that you'd like to become an expert in but be careful of jumping into all of it at once <laughs> because that might drain your energy it might make you lose focus and lose sight of that one major goal that you want to achieve at such a moment think about a postage stamp because as josh billings once said consider the postage stamp its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing until it gets there so ana have you found your life's calling and if yes what is your life's calling my life's calling is being a teacher so yes a yoga teacher yes a medicine person yes a teacher of transformational tools but also what i'm learning now is as a healer and as a teacher is how to use sound to use music kind of like nada yoga yeah to use sound to sing into somebody's bones so the aboriginal people been doing this for a long time the native american people been doing it but i'm learning it at a whole another level is how to sing into my people's bones to help bring about a realignment on a atomic level for healing so oh. be willing to learn one of the things i wanted to add to when you're doing that uh like a synopsis like i i hear you put what i say into a synopsis for your folks is you don't have to do this alone and as a matter of fact you cannot you cannot any more than your brain can live without the rest of the body you need all parts so you go to the people that have done studies you haven't you want to learn yoga go to someone that studies yoga you want to learn how to clean up your diet go to a nutritionist go to people that know more than you and ask questions don't abandon your own intelligence and discernment but gather the information and the tools and the skills that you need for the life changes that you want from people who have already made those life changes if you think you have to do it alone that is one more lie and delusion we need to interrelate with each other that is how we are made up we're made to learn from each other Well, thanks for sharing. So, looking back now, was there ever a magical moment beyond which you were confident that your life is about to change? Take us back to that very moment. There's about seven thousand of them. <laughs> so, I'll do one that's really graphic. This was when I lived in the desert and I was training horses and I was drinking, smoking. I was in that phase, and I really, really, really wanted to end my suffering. And what I did is I rode one of the horses out and I found this place that was above a dry riverbed that was rocky and it was like okay this is the place and then I walked out there at night with the intent of jumping off of the cliff and as I was sitting up there wondering like what do I do you know how do I do this should I do this it was a exquisitely beautiful desert night and because i wasn't trying to hold on and maintain all my facades and lies for perhaps the very first time in my life i was pierced by the beauty of the night the nightscape the starscape the warm winds blowing through the desert the chilly wind that followed the warm wind and it was like yep this is a good time to die and i jumped off that cliff and I just remember seeing the stars wheeling in the sky. I didn't have any life flashbacks anything like that. And then I don't even remember hitting the ground. But when I came, I blacked out for a while. When I came back, I was laying in a sand patch that wasn't there earlier that day. There wasn't a sand patch there. And so in my own poisonous way, it was like, "Oh god, you can't even kill yourself." 
you know, <laughs> you know, just that kind of thinking. But then on another hand, it was like, what if I put that amount of effort into living? What if I chose life instead of always skirting and flirting with suicide? And so shortly after that, I walked out of the desert. I walked out of the ranch that I was training horses at. I sold my horses. I gave most of my money to my brother so he could make a different life choice and go to the school that he wanted. And I kept aside enough money and took a teacher training course and quit smoking, quit drinking, and became a vegetarian on the same day, which was October 3rd, 1975. It's either the 3rd or the 5th, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because it's like, wait, was it 3rd? Was it 5? Okay, somewhere right in there in October 1975. And that's when I jumped, made a jump for life. So I went into a yoga teacher training course where I would get fed every day because it was a residential. I did yoga every day. Mm. I listened to some really strange concepts every day. And I kept feeling for what is a reason for being alive? And I found something that I already knew but really got affirmed is that even though I didn't think much of myself, I love teaching people something that would grab their attention like a yoga pose or help their hip or I love to teach. And that was a really big turnaround. So I don't recommend to people that they jump off a cliff. Please hear that. But I do use that shocking time because there was something very magical that happened. It was big time intervention from the sacred ones. That was one of the many big turning points in my life. Another really big turning point that I think is important to bring around is when I decided to hunt and stalk what love is because I didn't have any neuroreceptors for love. I had not experienced it. I just thought it was romantic nonsense that people talked about and deluded themselves with. And at a certain point, I quit comforting myself with that kind of thinking to finding out I am going after this. I am going to find out what is love. And that has been an incredibly fruitful hunt and something I never thought would be possible for me, is to love as deeply as I do now. But like anything else... Love is something that grows with tending. And one of the first places I learned to love was the wild ones, the animals. And the second place was my students. But I could only love them in tiny little increments, like as long as they were in my class doing what I mm -hmm. said on the mat, I could care about them. And that grew over the years. So to my listeners, I challenge you with learning how to love, with discernment. And sometimes that means loving yourself more than another person to know when it's time to walk away. For those of you that are caught in relationships that are destructive, to learn to love yourself. Well, thanks for sharing. That was truly, truly inspiring. With that, we've reached the final round for today's show, the wisdom round, which is a rapid fire round. Are you ready? Sure. What is the best advice that someone's ever given you? Hmm. I'm going to have to rephrase the question a little bit because one of the things that I learned to do was to go back through a timeline and send a call to my younger self to hang on and not die, to hang on because something wonderful is coming. So it was me giving myself a message back through time. Beautiful. Name a personal habit that keeps you going. Daily yoga. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that in the show notes for sure just as one more reminder for our listeners so Anna what is your morning ritual like my morning ritual it depends on where I am at in the world and what I'm doing so for example if I am doing a teacher training course my morning ritual is to get up at about 2 a.m 
meet with my team between 3 and 3.30, and we practice together. We do a yoga practice together, the same class Mm -hmm. that we will be teaching. So it's in our bones. It's alive in there. And then we teach that class, which usually has a 45-minute ceremony. So it could be song, dance, quiet time, setting the intent, pranayama, and then into like a two-hour class if it's a foundation teacher training or a a three-and-a-half-hour class if it's an advanced training. Then there'll be a break and then another five hours or so of it could be going into talk about nutrition and working with your nutritional strategy, like how to get a better strategy going, something that is manageable and that you can actually commit to doing. Or it could be learning how to do hands-on assists, how to be a healer as well as a teacher, how to touch with care and making a difference, whether you're reaching out to touch your cat or your dog or your child or your loved one or your student, like teaching people how to touch teaching people how to work with their thinking so that their brain becomes an ally instead of an enemy. Then that would go for 27 days (laughs) and then probably a pack day, getting up, do yoga, pack, get to the airport. Sometimes the flights are really early and I may only have time to do some abdominals before sitting in a plane, breathing other people's recycled breath and farts and all the other disgusting (laughs) things on a plane, making it through that and doing some yoga as soon as possible once I get off so I can move that foulness out of me, including the kinked energy and the clogged lymphatic system that happens from flying. Mm -hmm. So it depends because I'm, I'm a yoga gypsy. I'm on the move all the time in 19, let's see, 14 days from now, I'm flying to Berlin, then to England, you know, and then we're, we're in Europe and teaching there for three months. So it depends on the day. Today, we got up before sunrise and started working on our emails because we, thank you, Jose, for giving me this viewpoint, we communicate with people all over the world. And the emails are like our little messengers that we send mm-hmm. out like star seeds out into the world to plant for the future. And I really love using email that way instead of these these damn things that I have to handle sitting at this little radioactive box, right? That used to be my attitude. Now it's like I can reach the forest yoga and descendants tribe and the aboriginal people through this magic box, this technology. Let me learn to use it well. And that's one of the ways that we work with the emails. I also like to get up before sunrise because I learned in the medicine way that at first light, like I mentioned, I, that song, I Touch the Morning Light. At first light is when I'll put out my intent and also my prayers and also listening for like sacred ones. What do you need me to do today? This is what I need from you. I need some help with these things. But what do you need or want from me today? So I take some quiet time at that time of first light to commune with the sacred. And sometimes I'll do that on an airplane, you know. I'm up like a mile high. It's a great time to hang out with the cloud people and with the the sacred instead of just being all grouchy and bitchy because I'm like stuck in this seat with all these other people that are eating really smelly food. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a change of perspective. (laughs) So I can't give you a straight answer on that because it depends on the day. But taking time to connect with my beloved, Jose, doing yoga together. We like to walk. When we're in Australia, we visit the parks here because we have multitudes of bird families that we enjoy being with, cockatoos and all sorts of birds like the kookaburra, to touch in and to see the wild ones. And some people may say, you know, I live in such a dense city that there isn't any. It's like you have squirrels, Mm -hmm. you have beetles, you know, look around. There's somebody there. Look around. Look past the own box of your own day-to-day doings. 
So I attempt to do that in, you know, when I'm focused in on the box of what I need to do, I have to go to the store, I have to do laundry, I have to do these things. And then also to like, look around, like, look at the sky, enjoy that. Let my soul and heart be touched by that. I need to do those things. I have to think about doing those things every day. Because the action, nourishing my heart and my spirit, doesn't come automatically. It's not an automatic action. It's an intentional action. Mm-hmm. So then somewhere in there, we're cooking a meal. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll put the, we'll put up layers of the meal and then do yoga while our food in the oven is cooking. And then we'll, at a certain point in the yoga practice, we'll about an hour and a half into the practice, we'll turn on the steamer so that our food is steaming. And then when it's all over, then we'll put together the raw aspects of our meal and then have this wonderful baked steamed and raw parts of our meal all put together into a wonderful plate. That's also part of what we do when we are at home or in a place that has a kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So what is the most inspiring book that you have ever read? There's two that comes to mind. There's many, depending on which field I needed to be inspired in. One is a book that's, wow, it's about 30 years old, I think, called The Courage to Heal by two women, one whose name is Ellen Bass, B-A-S-S, and the other one, I cannot remember her name. Another one is a book by Brooke Medicine Eagle, White Buffalo Woman Comes Singing. And Brooke and me are actually very good friends, and she's a very matter-of-fact person who describes her medicine experiences of opening up the 21st century mind to the magic and the impossibility of this vast truth that unfolds in front of us every day. And I think she does a good job with that. So those are two things that come to mind. There are many, many, many good books. I love Krishnamurti's books, but sometimes they get really entangled mm-hmm. in the question and answer process, you know, but it's if you can breathe and follow it through, the the questioner talking to Krishnamurti goes through just like, it's like the archetypal human tangles that we all go through. And so as we get tangled with that questioner and, and go through the untangling process, it's really quite fantastic. But I don't recommend reading too much at one time because you'll just bog down. So read maybe 10 pages max <laughs> at a time. There's a lot. I love reading and books are really wonderful for inspiration, but that's only one step. It's like take action. That's why I love your action tribe way of talking. (laughs) It's like you need to take action, but you also need to do some research. And we have this wonderful thing that I call the smart stupid boxes called computers, where we can research in a way that we couldn't before. So there's great ways to research where is their yoga close to you? What kind of yoga? You know, finding what works in, you want to treat some of the diseases you have in an Ayurvedic way, look on your little computer and Google the Ayurvedic center nearest you. How lovely that this practice has spread out, out of India and into the rest of the world. You know, it's like research, do some research and pick something that is doable each day. So like you may not be able to change your diet completely, but you can make one good health choice a day. Well, thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, to access today's show notes, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 115. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 115. And I completely agree with you, Anna. Technology transcends time and distance. We are pretty much across the world. I'm in the Northern Hemisphere. You're in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia. I'm in Canada and we're still having this wonderful conversation. And, uh, you know, technology allows us to transcend time as well. So in case 
you are my grandson listening to the show right now. Have you done your yoga session? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you. Mm. Let me start with the easy one. The best way I can be found. Let's go back to the computer world. <laughs> www.forestyoga.com. F-O-R-R-E-S-T-Y-O-G-A. And my ever so smart technical group in my business have also started a Anna Forest website, which is just strictly what me and Jose are doing. But you could get to either one of them and it can tell you where my forest yoga teachers are and you know what we're up to. So that's a good and easy way to do it. What am I grateful for? I am grateful that I have gotten to the place where I can honor that I will learn. So no matter what terrible situation I'm in or what wonderful situation I'm in, I trust myself now that I will learn from every experience because I treasure the experiences I'm in. And it's taken me years to recognize that I learn from my experiences and that is worth honoring. And I take a great deal of gratitude in that, in finding ways that I build my self-respect and that's one of the healing tools that I really ask our listeners to begin to consciously go after is do something that builds your self-respect each day, but also do a delusional check. In other words, let's say you're scared of handstand and you do a down dog on the wall. That is a good step. But do you beat yourself up because you aren't balancing free balance? That's an unfair judgment. So using discernment as you mm -hmm. build your self-respect. Can you do something each day to build your self-respect and then reward yourself lavishly for having done it? Like, yes, I did something good and this brightened me. Yes. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you're listening so far, it means you really want to transform and change your life. If you want to learn yoga, if you want to learn a new way of living, a new philosophy, if you want to be a yoga teacher, or if you want to go on a workshop or even something beyond that, then visit forestyoga.com, F-O-R-R-E-S-T-Y-O-G-A.com. I'll have that in the show notes as well so that you can take action and change your life no matter where you are right now. Realize that only you can make that shift. Anna, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about your story, your experiences, your insights, and about forest yoga, and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. You're welcome. And you know what? I forgot to mention something. At the end of this year, me and Jose are doing a solstice retreat in Tulum in the Yucatan and we'll be having Mayan medicine people coming there and we'll be visiting the ancient pyramids wow. and the beauty and the magic there and the mystery there is big. And so we'll be going into the mystery together and doing wondrous things. And I'm really excited about that. And we'll be doing the Aboriginal songs and dances and some of the Native American ones. We'll just be doing a culturally deep and rich and wondrous retreat and lots of forest yoga of course so information for that be on the website as well yes it's coming up on the website it should be on in like two days wonderful so there you go action tribe you have the information right there take action thanks once again anna i hope you have a wonderful day ahead you're welcome you are listening to my seven chakras go to my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action transform your life today